and say good morning. And no, there's not a misprint in the bulletin. Yes, we are going to look and consider another message that would be highly considered an Easter morning message. But it's important. It's an important message because it is the culmination, it's the crux of the gospel that we preach. It's the reason why we have hope. It's the reason why we have life. It's the reason why when we die that we will, the promise that is given to us in Scripture, absent with the body to be present with the Lord, that is the reason why we're going to look at what we're going to look at this morning. Now, I got to thinking about the message this morning, and I was thinking about the act of the crucifixion and the power of God displayed just in what happened at the cross of Calvary. Jesus was wrongly accused. Jesus knew and he foretold that he was going to hang on the cross and bear the sins of us. He also knew that he was going to rise again the third day, yet he endured unspeakable pain and misery for our behalf. But the power to stay on the cross. Think about what it took for Christ to stay on the cross and not call a legion of angels to come to his aid and just destroy everyone who was his tormentor, his accuser, his crucifier. He could have done that. But his power kept him on the cross because he knew that's not what his purpose was for. His purpose was to die on the cross. Then we think about the fact that the, the, the fulfillment of the scripture where it says not a bone of his body was broken and the soldiers came around and they found that he was dead. Instead of breaking his legs, they pierced him in the side. His blood was shed. He was nailed to the cross. He had a plate of thorns on his head. He was beaten mercilessly. His blood was shed. And the, and the scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And then we come to his resurrection. Why is the resurrection important? He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. We're going to read this together. Well, I'm going to read it and then you follow along with me. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for this day. Beautiful sunshine outside. Lord, and it's, we were surprised by the lack of winter weather that we were threatened with, but yet you've chosen to give us a beautiful spring, sunny morning. And we come to your house and we worship you. We worship you and your awesomeness and, and how great and how holy you are and the fact that we indeed serve and worship a living God. Father, as we consider the resurrection, we consider the importance of the resurrection and how it affects the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, that we will go away from this place renewed in our zeal 
to not only serve you, but to spread the gospel as well. In Christ's name, amen. So on this particular Sunday morning, the Sunday after Easter, I'd like for us to remember something. And it's, it's, I, it's easy to let it slip. It's easy to, to not dwell on the fact that Christ raised from the dead. We, we, we go about our Christian lives and we get caught up in, in, in the this and the that and all that. But we need to remember that Christ is alive. He sits on the right hand of God the Father. We serve a living God. So this Sunday after Resurrection Sunday, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 and find out why they're so important to us. Now, in verse 1, we see the, the phrase, wherein we stand. The gospel gives us the ability to have stability for living, to have a foundation. These verses declare the message where we stand. Imagine if Christ had died on the cross and was put in the tomb and never came out of that tomb and stayed there. Would our religion be any different than any other religions where their prophets have died? No, we wouldn't. Our religion would be nothing, and we would be most miserable. But the fact of the matter is, we serve a living God. Jesus Christ did raise from the dead, and that is the foundation on which we get to stand. It also says, by which ye are saved, the salvation of our souls. These verses declare the message by which we are saved. There is no other path to salvation except the gospel of Jesus Christ, except we realize where we stand before God. We accept the fact that Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and he died there for us. He suffered, he bled, he bore our sins that terrible day on the cross of Calvary. And three days later, he rose again from the dead and conquered death so that we are no longer dead in our sins. We are no longer in a place of, of defeat. We live in a place of hope and stability. We're saved. This is the message of eternal life that allows us to face all the events of life and death with confidence. Those of us who are saved, every one of us in this room has been touched by death in some capacity or another. And the fact is, we have hope. We have hope that the person, the loved one who died, is in glory with, with, with their father. Grandma. Karen's mom, she's rejoicing in heaven today. Alan Lawrence, who just passed away just this last week, he is in heaven. He's no longer bound by the constraints of his disease. He's in heaven. He's singing. My mom is in heaven rejoicing. We have a little baby, little June, who we lost in the womb. But that child, that child's with Jesus. I'm confident of that. That's the message. So since this message is so important, we ought to give some very careful thought on how we embrace it. What is the message? The message is this. Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried and he rose again the third day. Jesus was our substitute. He stood in a gap. He, made the pl he stood in the place where we could not stand. If we had to stand where Jesus stood, we would be condemned and we would have no hope. But yet Jesus... He was our substitute, and he died in our place. He bore our sin. He bore everything that was ugly and terrible about us.
and he took it to the cross. He died for it. He was buried. It was buried with him, and he left it in the grave and came out alive. The miracle of the resurrection emphasizes the message of Christ our Redeemer. Now, the Apostle Paul said, this message was preached unto you. This is the gospel message that must be declared or preached. And Jesus gave that mandate very clearly in Matthew 28, 19, where he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Jesus said, Go and preach. He gave that mandate. And we as New Testament Christians in the, in the world today have that same mandate. We are to go and we are to preach the gospel wherever we are. Does that mean we're supposed to go to the mission fields? If God calls us there, by all means. But that also means that when you have children and you raise them up, our responsibility is to teach them the gospel. to spread the gospel around the workplace, to spread the gospel wherever we go. God gives us opportunities everywhere we go, and we're to, we're, to, we're to do that. Paul also said, you have received this gospel. This is the gospel message that must be received. Why? Because if we don't receive it, we will be rejected at the judgment. John 14, 12, 48 reads, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And then he said, Unless you have believed in vain, this gospel message is not to be treated lightly or in a casual fashion. It should be treated extremely seriously because it's incredibly important. To understand this, I'd like for us to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And they read, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now, when I read that passage, it, it, it caused me to think about particular passages of Scripture that talk about our faith and our works together. And if you would very quickly turn with me back to James chapter 2. Now, we just went through an entire Thursday night Bible study in the book of James. So this might sound a little familiar. But James chapter 2, verse 18 reads, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And verse 20 says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works dead. In this in this verse in Hebrews, there is the idea that we must mix true faith with the true gospel promise message. Those of, I think, everyone in this room 
at least the guys, have mixed concrete at one point or another, correct? Mixed concrete? When it's wet, you can put, all right, <laughs> a lot of us have mixed concrete or have seen it done. And when it's wet, you can mix just about anything into it. You can mix rocks into it. You can mix little pebbles. You can put coloring into it. But what happens once that concrete sets up? Once it's set up, it becomes a foundation that you can stand on. And it's important that we truly embrace the gospel message and not treat it in an empty fashion. And, and this is the meaning of the words, unless you believed in vain in our text. Think about this. If your faith is true faith and it's mixed with the promise of the gospel, the hope of the gospel, you have an unshakable foundation and, a, and you have a salvation that is secure. When God says, no man's going to pluck you out of the hand of the Father. That's eternal security. True faith mixed with the true promise of the gospel yields an unshakable salvation. I am His and He is mine. And nothing can shake that. Nothing can break that. And you're not going to take it out. You can't separate them again. But it has to be true faith. And it has to be the true promise of the gospel. It can't be another gospel. It has to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, this morning, we're going to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I'd like for us to give some careful consideration to, to one phrase in, the, in this text. In verse 4, we read, He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is, the, is a crucial, is the crucial part of the gospel message. Like I said before, if Christ had not risen from the dead, the gospel would be incomplete. So let's study that phrase a little bit carefully. In the original language, the word rose is in the perfect tense. The perfect tense indicates an action that was completed in the past and continues to be true in the present, indicating that Christ was raised and continues to exist as a living person. So Jesus has risen and continues to be risen. Now, is there anything else in your life, especially as a Christian, is there anything else in your life that you can think of that fits this particular description? Something that, was, that took place in the past that is still active and present in, right now. We just talked about it. I was saved, and I continue to be saved. Why? Because my true faith was mixed with the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and I have an unshakable foundation. It cannot be taken from me. Until God comes back and calls me home, and even then, my, I, have, I have the promise of eternal life. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to rule and reign with him, and my salvation will continue to be. That's eternal security. The word rose is also passive. We would translate this, was raised. God the Father and the Holy Spirit raised up Jesus from the dead. So for the rest of the message, we, I'd like for us to give careful consideration to the phrase, was raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, if you've read the book of Acts, you know that Dr. Luke wrote it. So Dr. Luke emphasized the reliability of this message 
in Acts 1, 3b. And he says, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. After he rose from the dead, Jesus proved that he was alive by many infallible proofs, including eyewitness accounts. You remember last week we talked about eyewitness accounts. We talked about Mary Magdalene, how Mary Magdalene was present in his earthly ministry. She heard him preach. She was there to help sustain him physically, I'm sure with food, a place to sleep, sustenance, and whatnot. She was there when he was crucified. She watched him die on the cross of Calvary. And then she was there when he was resurrected. She was the first person to see him. She was the first person to touch him. She was the first person to take the message to the disciples that he was alive. Can you imagine being able to do that with the Savior? So, but we have some, here's, but there's a very important point that we have to establish in our thinking. The proofs of Christ's resurrection were designed to direct our attention to the preaching of Christ. And we, can, and we can see this most plainly in the explanation by Jesus in Luke 23, 43-47. You can turn there if you want. If not, listen as I read. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The proofs of Christ's resurrection were designed to direct our attention to the preaching of Christ. The phrase, in, the phrase in 1 Corinthians 15.4, according to the scriptures, that phrase is going to call us to remember the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the central message of the scriptures. And if you want to go and see later, John 5.39 is a good reference to see that in. In fact, Jesus related this very simple message in Luke 16.31. And he, and he said unto them, if ye hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will, ye, will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So, there are three things about his resurrection according to the scriptures. One, it was predicted by Jesus. Two, it was proclaimed by the apostles. And thirdly, it was implied in the scriptures. So the first one, predicted by Jesus... We can see the same idea. Jesus said these very words in Matthew 28, 38-42. He said, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well of the belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. 
The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, if you were at Bible study on Thursday night and we did some trivia, we found out that the queen of the south was the queen of Sheba. Um, Jesus used the request of the scribes and the Pharisees to direct them toward the most important point. And you can see it right here in this passage. Jesus used the event in the life of Jonah, three days in the whale, to illustrate his own coming resurrection after three days in the tomb. But he used Jonah's experience to emphasize the preaching of Jonah and the repentance of Nineveh. Now, if you remember, Jonah kind of went through some turmoil because God told Jonah, go. Go to Nineveh. Preach the gospel. And Jonah kind of dug his heels and said, yeah, no, I really don't want to do that. And he got on a boat and he tried to get away. God said, nah, we're not having that. He sent a storm. They threw Jonah overboard. A whale swallowed him up. And he was three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. And finally, Jonah said, I've had enough, God. Spit me out and I'll go to Nineveh. I don't really, I personally don't really believe Jonah really, truly repented. I think he wanted to get away from a bad situation. And God got him out of the bad situation and he used him in spite of himself. But the fact of the matter is, Jonah went to Nineveh, kind of begrudgingly, and he preached to Nineveh. And he repented. And, and they repented. Nineveh repented. And then Jonah was upset again. But that's another message. And he, used the, and he also emphasized the wisdom of Solomon in both cases. Now, you can think back to the Old Testament. Who was the wisest person in, in the world? That was Solomon. And a queen came to Solomon to try and garner some of his wisdom. But yet one greater than Solomon had come. So this message should lead us. He pointed to the message of the word to emphasize the preaching of the word. The good news of Jesus Christ is the greatest news of all. It is the news of the resurrection from the dead. This is the message that should lead us to repent from our sins and to receive him as our Lord and Savior. This is the gospel by which we are saved, wherein we stand. This saves our souls and gives us the stability for living. This enables us to handle the tragedies that come into our lives that the world just falls apart at. They reel at tragedy. Oh no, what happened? My life is coming apart. And they fall into depression or they or fall into a despair that is unbelievable. We don't do that. Why? Because we have the power of a living, risen Savior who is our foundation, the gospel message. So his resurrection, according to the scriptures, was also proclaimed by the apostles. In Psalm 2.6, we read this, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill, Zion. I will declare the decrees the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So, what does, this, what does this verse mean for our study today? Well, we're going to read another psalm. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11 says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, 
For thou shalt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures evermore. What do these psalms mean? In Acts 13, we see the preaching of the Apostle Paul. So let's see for a minute. How did Paul use Psalm 2 and Psalm 16 to preach Christ in verses 39, 29 through 39 in Acts 13? So remember, remember what we're seeking here. We're seeking to understand the phrase, Christ was risen again according to the Scriptures. Starting at verse 29 of Acts 13 says, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. In that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Interesting how the Old Testament plays such an important role in the writing of the New Testament. And as concerning that he was raised up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he said also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now you think about it. What did the law of Moses do? law of Moses didn't justify the law of Moses condemned the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, is what justified us from the condemnation of the law of Moses. Thirdly, his scriptures, his resurrection was implied in the scriptures. Ronald Trail wrote this, Since the scripture predicted the sufferings and the death of the Messiah, and also predicted his everlasting kingdom, the resurrection is implied. As we close this message this morning, I'd like for us to turn to one of the greatest chapters in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. This wonderful Old Testament scripture prophesied that Christ would die for our sins, but if we look closely, we can also see that God the Father would restore the life of God the Son. Follow along with me as we read Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 4. It says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Now very, now consider these next verses carefully. Yet it pleased God to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the, see the travail of his soul and shall be justified. By his knowledge shall my, servant, my, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. How do we apply this? How do we apply today's message? How do we apply the, the message that Jesus rose again on the third day according to the scriptures? Well, we have the proof of Christ's resurrection. And they were designed, they're designed to, a, to, to direct our attention to the preaching of Christ. Pay careful attention to the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. Pay careful attention when declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. Secondly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We, in, in Luke 16.31, Jesus stressed the, the importance of hearing and believing all Scripture. If you won't believe those, then you won't even believe if you saw someone raised from the dead, like Jesus said um, before. Uh oh, there we go. My pages are out of order. Thirdly, be sure, be sure that you have not believed in vain. Be sure that the faith that you mix with the true gospel of Jesus Christ is true faith. Don't, don't place your trust in a prayer that was prayed once or a religious feeling. Be sure that you, that you and I, we've placed our complete trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again. Trust the gospel for the saving of your soul and the ability to give you stability for living. Mix your faith with God's gospel promise. And thirdly and lastly, the Great Commission. Declare this glorious gospel to others who need to hear it. And believe me when I say, there are a lot of people that need to hear it. There's a man coming from Egypt who is living amongst the one, was it 1% or 10%? 10% of the population of Egypt that are Christians. That means 90% of Egypt is Muslim. Just that land of Egypt needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. We have co-workers 
We have people that we meet in the grocery store. We have next-door neighbors. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Why is the gospel of Jesus Christ so important? Because the day of the Lord is coming, folks. Jesus is coming back. He said He was. He's coming back. And our job here is to be kingdom builders. Our job here is to help build the kingdom of God. So when Jesus comes back the second time, they'll go with Him. Let's pray. Gracious Father in Heaven, thank You so much for this day. Thank You so much for the for the passages, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the for the completed work of Jesus Christ in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the conquering of death, the ability to make our foundations stable and established. Father, I pray as we go from this place that we would have a renewed zeal to spread the gospel, to help others see and to be able to embrace faith and mix it with the gospel of Jesus Christ and become stable, to become a child of God, one that loves you, and there's a desire to serve you. In Christ's holy name, amen.